I'm preaching tonight. I like this one. Um, but yeah, first things first, I'm going to pray, okay? So pray with me. Uh, Jesus, I'm really glad to be here. I like my family. I like being with my family. Um, my friends, my friends are cool. Uh, take care of all our friends who aren't here tonight. I know there's a bunch of girls running into each other on roller skates, and um, there's uh, people at a wedding. I don't know. We're all spread over the place. Take care of our family, wherever we are. Um, and even though we got some distance tonight, I pray that you knit us together. Um, yeah, actually, along those lines, take care of the people that, that listen to these sermons online. Um, I have friends, and I pray for them to knit your body together. Um, I want you to like this. Man, you, you write good stories. It's tough. Your stories are tough sometimes, man. They're 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 dramatic. Um, show us how to do that. Show us how to live through the drama. Show us how to be the drama. Show us how to choose into the drama and redeem it. Yeah, reveal yourself. Glorify yourself in these words. I tried. I tried really hard. Um, pray that it's a good time to, um, yeah, fasten the smart things to the inside of our skulls and all the dumb stuff, you know, just let that empty out. All right. We love you a lot. Amen. All right. Um, <laughs> so, so I, me and my family, we just saw, we just saw Star Wars. We just saw episode eight. And I need to tell you all about it. <laughs> just kidding. Um, <laughs> oh. Do I want to? Oh my gosh, they would fit the sermon so well. Holy crap, you all have to rush out and go see it. Um, oh, it's, it's, it's just epic, and it's... Oh man, I got it. I got it. Okay, moving on. I can't say, say enough about it, but it, I have to say that I've said enough about it and move on. So, let's talk about episodes one through seven. Dude, in my opinion, like... This is the greatest folk tale of the last 80 years. Greatest modern folk tale. Like, we love talking about it. Like, oh, who's Rafe's parents? And, uh, what? He's his dad? You know, blah, blah, blah. It's like, oh my gosh, this is epic. This is crazy. Like, things turning around on each other. We love this story. And I don't know, man. I like, I like, um, Lord of the Rings a lot. And that happened 80 years ago. That's why I said the last 80 years. But man, Star Wars and Star Wars and Lord of the Rings is like, oh man, that's it's close. These are epic stories where so many people get wrapped up and and work together and work in like separate places, and it all culminates in the triumph over evil. We love this stuff. But it could so easily be nothing. Like, what if Bilbo never left home? Hey, bye. Oh, that's a short book. <laughs> what if it, in 1977, when Star Wars came out, uh, in Episode Four, what if what if Luke? You know, I mean, you get things get shot up, and 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 his, and his parents die, and he just stays there, or his aunt and uncle dies. 
And he just never leaves Tatooine. You're like, basically, Obi-Wan would go, Darth Vader would kill him, and the rebellion dies, and Luke's a farmer, and you're like, oh, well, that was a waste of money in film. That was 30 minutes. All these people choose into drama, choose into hard things. And that's what we love to hear about. That's what we love to see. And I don't think we always do it in real life. What if Anakin stayed on Tatooine? Episode 1. Stayed with his mom. It would have been a lot easier to stay with his mom. Comfy. What if Rey stayed on Jakku? What if Han Solo, this is, the, this is one of my favorites, what if he took his princess, rescue the princess money and took off? Way more convenient. But he turns around, comes back, saves Luke, Luke blows up the Death Star. Ah, yay! William Falcon. So many times, people did the hard thing, and we love it. We get to see that tonight. Uh, this is this, this is the fourth. You know, uh, uh, Mike uh, did these Advent guides, and typically in Advent there's you know uh, four Sundays and then Christmas Eve, and then you know no one no one thought about what if Christmas Eve is on one of the Sundays. So we're like, oh crap! So so Dave did the first two things of of, of Advent, and then uh, Mike did one last week, and I'm doing number four. So this is typically the this is actually the fourth one. And then I'll land the plane next week uh, at, at the Christmas Eve service. Nine o'clock. It's going to be sweet. Um, but we're going to read this. Uh, so let's go to Matthew 2. Yep. <clears throat> so this, uh, this happens right after the uh, Magi that Mike talked about last week, the three wise men, quote-unquote. Um, they just talked to Herod. And Herod's like, oh, well, you know, yeah, I want to worship him too, so, you know, come back and tell me. So that just happened, verse 9, after this interview. The wise men went their way. The star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. Went ahead of them, stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they had some eggnog and stuff. Since their welcome was, you know, okay, that was, thanks for coming, thanks for the gifts. Uh, we just had a kid. They, they, well, they didn't. It was actually a couple of years later. But anyways, they had to go. Um, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. This is the first one. These are the first guys that choose into drama. They choose, like, the hard thing. They could have... As a matter of convenience, okay, yeah, yeah, we're going to stop by Herod and say, oh, yep, he's over here. Because this is like basically like avoiding the homicidal crazy king. Irritable guy, to say the least. Like, uh, should we piss him off? Yeah, let's do it. They do. I mean, they get the help of the dream. The dream is like Jesus or an angel or somebody is like, okay. Don't talk to Herod. I don't know if they collaborated or something, but they're like, oh, 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 
okay. Did you get this dream? Yeah, I got this dream. They're like, he's gonna if he figures out we ditched, he's gonna look for us and he'll want to kill us. I'm like, yeah, but the dream. Safety, convenience. But the dream. What, what what might happen? And they choose the they choose the cool thing. Life goes on for our three intrepid heroes, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. Going on in verse 13, after the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Whew, don't drink the water. Get up. Flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother. And they stayed there until, uh, they stayed there until Herod's death. It's fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. Um, I'm going to go through this a little bit, but like just to let you know, Matthew is super into t- telling people, it's like, okay, Jesus makes a lot of the Old Testament prophecy happen. Matthew was super into that. And so this, uh, yeah, the, I called my son out of Egypt. It's like, see, huh? Putting the things together for us. Uh, let's keep going. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. Like they thought. He sent, a, he sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. This is prophecy, too, and it sucks. Rachel Rachel in Jewish culture is like the quintessential mom. Like Jacob, Jacob was super in love with Rachel. Loved Rachel. was like, oh, I want Rachel. So like his, his dad, or her dad, made him work for a year, and then you can have Rachel. And then one of the dumbest things that ever happens in scripture, he accidentally marries the wrong girl, marries <laughs> marries Rachel's sister, and then he's like, oh, for crap's sake. And then he works another year so he can get Rachel, and so he has these two wives that are sisters, and then Rachel is barren. She can't have kids. It sucks. She's, she's so bummed. But Leah, like, pops him out, no problem. That was a big deal. If you're trying to make a family, if you're trying to make your, you know, the ranch work. Rachel is like pouring her out of God, I want to have kids. She wants so badly to have kids and she petitions, she writes these psalms and <sighs> complains to God and worships God. Worships and complains. It's a cool combo. Please let me have a kid. She has one. And she worships. She says thanks. And so we love, like, like she's mom. She is the perfect mom in Jewish culture. And here, like all these Jews, Jewish kids are dying. Infanticide. Craziness. Kill them all. A boys. And Rachel's like, oh my gosh. Figuratively speaking, Israel is weeping for these sons that are no more. Brutal. 
verse 19, when Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, the angel said. Take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel. Because those who were trying to kill the child are dead. So Joseph got up, returned to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother. But when he learned that the new ruler of Judea was Herod's son, Archelaus, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned in a dream, he left for the region of Galilee. So the family went and now lived in a town called Nazareth. More prophecy. Thanks, Matthew. This fulfilled what the prophets had said. He will be called a Nazarene. I mean, because because if you're if you're like putting the pieces together, if you're like putting like looking at the prophecy, if you're a Jew and waiting for the Messiah, it's like okay, he's called out of Egypt, but he's called a Nazarene. It doesn't work, but it worked out. Cool trick. Um, I mean, that's interesting to say the least, and I definitely could preach a sermon about that. I'm not going to. To put things together. Okay, Jesus is born, right? Bethlehem, been a barn outside of Bethlehem. Uh, Joseph and Mary and Jesus hang out there in Bethlehem a couple years. Uh, the Magi come, give presents and high fives. Then uh, next day, they, they take the long way home, avoiding King Herod. Right after that, an angel tells Joseph to make a fast exit, like in the middle of the night. And he does. He's like, yep, okay. Wakes everybody up. We're out. Joseph, Mary, and Jesus make said fast exit to Egypt, live in Egypt a few years, waiting for Herod to die. It took like three or four years. Then an angel gives Joseph another dream. Herod's dead. It's safe. Go home. And they go home. Look at this return to Israel for these three. Take some another couple few months. I mean, it's just like, it sounds really easy when you read the scripture. It's like, but it takes, it's hundreds of miles away. There wasn't a bus. Takes them a couple few months to get back home. Imagine how Mary feels. Finally, going home, finally. I've spent years being a stranger, being an outcast. We did not fit in Egypt. Almost over, though. I'm over this travel. I'm over moving around. It's military life. <laughs> no, I don't know where that was coming from, but it's, she's sick of moving. It's like, God, I want to go home. I want to make my home. I want to make my house. And we're almost there. See all my family. A few more days, and my life is mine again. And then verse 22. But when he learned that the new ruler, when Joseph learned that the new ruler of Judea was Herod's son, Archelaus, he was afraid to go there. It's like, they get back and like, wait, wait, who's king? Doesn't he hate Jesus too? And so they go to bed that night. I was like, oh crap, like this doesn't seem that much better. And then sure enough, he's got a dream from the angel. And imagine the angel. So it's like, oh, okay, Joseph, you're going to kill me, man. <laughs> Turns out we had some bad intel. <laughs> you got to leave town again. And think about Joseph. He's like, oh, 
Mary's going to hate me. <laughs> Again, if you breeze the, through this passage, like, it just skips to 23. So the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth. It was like, well, a lot happened there. It just makes them sound like they, you know, woke up everybody, you know, gently in the next morning. Said, okay, this is the new plan. We're going to go here. Everyone calmly accept it. And they just hit the road, you know, casually stopping at McDonald's on the way out of town. Do you think it went like that? No! It couldn't have. I mean, they still I mean they, they still have the blisters on their feet from walking back from Egypt. And they gotta go again. Sounds so simple when you read it in a matter of, you know, ten verses. In this Advent season, we're, we're, we're looking at Joseph. And I, and, and I think about the poor guy. I, I, wanna, I want to think that he has the same inner monologue that I do so often. I thought we were almost done. I thought we were on the edge of a breakthrough. I thought we were getting somewhere. I thought safety and peace and rest were just around the bend. Oh, you're going to be able to coast a little bit. When did we get a break? Will we ever get a break? I feel these things. It's my latest tattoo. Right here. It's a complaint. And it's worship. It's my psalm of the last five years. I didn't come here to die. I've been slowly dying for a few years. I have not been doing well. But I'm talking to God. God, help me out. I didn't come here to die. I want to think that Joseph thought the same thing. I didn't come here to die. You're supposed to take care of me. You're supposed to take care of this kid. You like him. You made him, right? I didn't get to make him. He's not mine. But he's mine to take care of. Like, this is not easy. Throw me a bone. I mean, things comes felt like this way for for the last five years too. It's like all of us have like every every while, every short while, we think, oh, we're on the edge of a breakthrough. Oh, we got it. We figured this out. Oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Let's do that. <laughs> we're on the edge of a breakthrough. It's like we're rounding a corner. But now it feels like we've been rounding the proverbial corner for years. <laughs> and what do you do when you round a corner constantly? You just go in circles. You just go in circles. I mean, if you do a corner, you know, two rights don't make a, uh, two wrongs don't make a right, but three lefts do, right? You know, you just keep on going in circles. If you just keep on taking corners and left and left and left and left, you don't go anywhere. 
And you're like, oh, I thought we were getting somewhere, but I feel the same way that I did a year ago. So the next slide. <laughs> Look at that. We start in Nazareth. They have to do the census thing. They go to Bethlehem. The kid's born there. Then they go to Egypt. Then they get sent back to Israel. It's like, yeah, okay, we're, we're back home. This is good. We'll do Jerusalem. It seems like that's where the king should live. And they're like, nope, not safe. Go to Nazareth. And you're like, that's where we started. Big freaking circle. We like circles. You know, we're into circles. Circles are cool. But, (laughs) I mean, here's one in Scripture, so it, it happened. Imagine, like, if you're Joseph, you're like, dude, we're just in the same place. And then people still want to kill us. There's more. There's a, there's a, uh, my wife, Jessie, she, she pointed this one out. This one, this is a circle that's like 2,000 years old. In Luke's Advent story, like we're reading out of Matthew, Luke, and uh, the, uh, another tale of Jesus, talking about Jesus getting here as a baby. Simeon calls Jesus the rescuer of Israel. But in the story we're looking at tonight, the rescuer of Israel needed to be rescued from Israel. Wait, but but you're supposed to save Israel, but Israel is trying to kill you. The king of Israel, I mean a puppet king anyway, is trying to kill Jesus. This doesn't look right. How is he rescued? Where is he rescued? Egypt. You know, a little Bible history. What did Israel need rescuing from 2,000 years before this? Egypt. How does this work? Another circle. It's like Israel needs to be rescued from Egypt. And so they leave and they get their place. And then things get kind of messed up and they get the, the rescuer. The rescuer comes and is like, well, we're going to try and kill him, I guess. And so the rescuer needs rescuing and he goes back to Egypt. It's like circles. <laughs> this is the plan, God? It's always hard. It just always seems hard. And, and, and we want, it's, it's tempting to lose hope. And that's why Joseph is so cool tonight. What, really? Back to Egypt? God, really? Back to Israel? Oh, you're kidding me, Nazareth. That's where I started. But he does it. He never hesitates. He always does it. Like, the first time, Angel says, leave now. And he leaves now. He wakes everybody up in the middle of the night and they take off. He does it quick. Joseph is a king, man. He's so good at it. And it's never easy. 
Tom, Tom Kelby, he's the president of ARC, the, the, the Alliance for New, Renewal Churches. Um, the ARC helps, helps come out a lot. But he sent, sent a text out this morning. Um, he's talking about something that Jesus said 30 years after this. If you put your hand to the plow, you can't look back. If you got your hand on the plow, if you're getting work done, you have to look forward. Tom wrote, back is easier, and at least temporarily, safer. Forward is hard. Forward is hard and dangerous work. It involves much more risk, but it is better. And it awakens the soul. Let's be wide awake in our souls and plotting in the right direction. Guys, Joseph, he was living adventure. He was living a story that we're still telling. He's living a story that we will tell for eternity. We like this drama. We're like, oh my gosh, thank you, Joseph, for doing that. There's all these people in Scripture. Like, if we like Star Wars, if we like Lord of the Rings, oh my gosh, this is the coolest story. And think of all the people that did hard things. What if any of them chose convenience? What if anybody chose the easy way instead of the tough way? Boaz. Ruth, Rahab, they all had convenient choices that they did not take. Guys, I mean, I don't know, I'm sure there's memes, but it's like, what do we need? Not more drama. No more drama. Guys, we admire people who live drama who take the hard road for the hope of something good and we are now involved in that story and it's hard yes it's hard I was talking with Tina and we I, I was I thought I thought it was her but then I, I was like oh did I come up with I'm pretty sure we came up with this quote together go to the next one Next slide. The next slide. Now. Now. Yeah, sweet. If you think that God values a level playing field, you will spend a lot of your life pretty pissed. If you think that God likes a level playing field, you're going to be irritated most of the time. Life's tough a lot of the time. God isn't into fair. He's just. He's gracious. He's merciful. But fair? Oh my gosh. If you, like, again, complain and worship, it's like, God, life's not fair. He's like, yep. Glad you caught that. How do we keep going? How do we choose into the hard things? How do we say, okay, I'm not going to do the convenient thing this time.
I'm going to do, I'm going to obey. There's so much in Scripture as far as obedience goes. Like, you know, you hear people say, like, oh, God told me to do this, and God told me to do that. Some people, it seems like it, it happens every other week. And a lot of you say that. A lot of you God said this. And, like, so you know, I don't believe you guys always. <laughs> God's, God's talked to me once in a way that I was like, whoa, whoa, shit, that was God. Otherwise, like, I just banked on Scripture. There's no shortage of things that i got to figure out. There's no shortage of things that I have to obey in Scripture. There's a lot of things I'm supposed to do. And one time, he spoke to me, and it was through Scripture, but it was like, you know, typically I read and I figure things out, but then there I read once and it's like God was like, ah! you know, the angels singing and like the light shone around me. I mean, it, it didn't, but I was like, what was that? Genesis twelve. Go to the land I will show you. That's what that's what God said to me, and I knew it was Denver. I don't know how I knew it was Denver, but it's Denver. That's how me and Jess got here. That's what. 13 years ago? I don't know. 14 years ago. It was dumb. Like, we, we were we were on staff with InterVarsity, and, and things were okay. I mean, we just got fired. We were about to get fired from InterVarsity. But, like, we had this network. Like, everybody loved us. Like, we couldn't, you know. If we wanted a job, Montana was it. We had a network. And then God said, go to Denver. What? And we didn't leave that night. <laughs> I actually, you know, I told Jess, and she was like, "No." <laughs> and I was ready for that. She was, she was not about it. Uh, but I gave her time. I said, "It's going to happen." Jesus is saying, "Go to Denver," and so we're going to go to Denver. Take your time. Take a minute. But it's going to happen. And then I backed off. It's like, I, try, I was really trying to love my wife well. It's like, this is in the future. It's going to take a second. I will let you take a minute. But start winding yourself up towards that. And then, you know, eventually she said, okay, yeah, I think you're right. Let's do it. And the very next day, I put the house on the market. Uh, <laughs> I was ready. I was ready to obey once, you know, we were both on... on on the same team and ready to go. But it didn't make sense. Montana is a sweet place to live. We have good friends there. But we've been here a while now, and this is the best. I love you guys. I love to be obeying with you. I love to be doing hard things with you. Montana is the land of convenience. It's a nice life. It's quiet. It's safe. It's cheaper. Holy crap. I can tell so many stories from the last 10 years. I'm living a story. I could have just painted a calm, stupid picture. In Montana. But I'm here living an adventure. 
in this heaven, we've, we've watched Joseph. He's, he's taken the field. So this is time to shine, you know. <laughs> he's taken the uphill, tilted field. God says, all right, Joseph, you're in. Get in there. And Joseph makes something happen. He's like, okay, all right, coach. He gets in and he makes something happen. He gets after it. He obeys. He is quick on it. How does this blue-collar country bumpkin carpenter enter the game and usher the Savior of humanity into the history of the world? This is one thing that I'm going to talk about for a while. You're going to hear me say this word a lot. One of the reasons that Joseph was ready to do this is because of discipline. He got onto the field ready to play the game because he had practiced. We know that Joseph was a righteous man. He was practiced in the disciplines, in the spiritual disciplines of his faith. He knew scripture. He knew what God was about. And God set him on that track. He's like, all right, this is the next play. Do it. And he's like, I'm set. It's one thing. That's, that's how I knew that God talked to me in Scripture because I was used to Scripture, used to doing it, used to making it happen. And it's like, okay, God, like, whoa, okay, that's different. And it makes sense. Okay, it's got to happen. We are going to go towards discipline. That is something that we need at SCUM discipline, working our faith out, practicing, ready to get in. If you only hear God's voice once in your life, which is probably how it's going to be for me, just once. I was ready for it. If you're only going to hear his voice once, you've got to be ready. Scum, we've got to get ready for it. God. I want you guys... I want to let you off the hook. I want to let you know how it all works out. But that's next week. Okay, so come come next Sunday. Because hope is realized. Things happen that work out. We do get rest. We do get to put it on cruise control a minute and watch cool stuff happen. That happens. And we get to look at it. But right now, we complain. And right now, we worship. At the same time, God, I didn't come here to die. This feels like dying. Show me how that you love me. There's a lot to live for, and next week we get to celebrate it. Oh, this is how it works. Now, guys, um, I want to pray together. This is like prayers of the people, like we always do. I want you guys to call out, you know, call out your prayers. I want you to worship. I want you to complain. Okay? So let's talk to God.
All right, guys. We're going to say the Lord's Prayer, and then we're going to do communion, okay? Our Father... The other thing is, in this drama that we're in, we're never alone. God helps us through with each other. Remember my leaning sermon? And sometimes it feels like you're leaning by yourself and you're like leaning towards Jesus. Like, oh gosh, I'm leaning away from everything I like and I'm leaning towards you because I, I believe that you're good. And once you lean... The people that you thought you were leaning away from are leaning with you. That's one of my favorite things about communion. Because I don't feel alone. It's a thing that we do as family. Like, I think it's possible to do communion by yourself. But, oh, it's so rich to do it together. So that's what we're doing now. We're doing communion. Um, and tonight we're doing it where we serve each other. So, so the way we do it is you, you, you come up here, break off a piece of the bread or the crunchy crackers that don't have wheat or gluten or whatever, and, um, and dip it in the juice. And then you turn around and you serve the person behind you. You hold the cup and you hold the plate for them. You say, this is Christ's body broken for you. And this is his blood that was shed for you. And you hand them, hand them the stuff. Uh, super family thing. I like it. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, he gave thanks for, to God for it, broke it into pieces, and said, this is my body. I'm just given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. His family. Agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again.